Will you pray with me, please? And so, O oh Lord, in these next few minutes, we pray that our minds might be clear of all the things that try to cloud them. We pray that you would take the calluses off our hearts and allow them to listen to your spirit. We pray that you would open the doors of our souls so that your word can penetrate and change us and make us into your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The season of Lent in the church is patterned after Jesus spending 40 days in the wilderness at the very beginning of his ministry, before he even got started with his public ministry, wrestling with temptation. And the temptation, you know, it has three different kind of elements to it, but, but basically it's like the difference between doing things his way and doing things God's way. And that's the wrestling that we all do during the season of Lent. We all wrestle with whether or not we're going to do things God's way or do things our own way. And in Lent, we, we kind of take an audit of our souls and ask ourselves some questions about how well we are doing in following Jesus as his disciples. How well are we doing at representing him in the world? How well are we doing in following his pathway? At Elmer's Church during the season of Lent, we have tried to scrape away all the pretenses and all of our concern about the image that we're projecting and get right down to the heart of the matter. And we've done so by asking questions. You know, why do I need forgiveness? Why do I need faith? And, and today, why do I need to follow? Um, to deal with this issue of following, I want to share from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, a story from the people of Israel. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, Why do you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I'll stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for, for the people to drink. And so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now Moses never asked to be the leader of the people of Israel. 
As a matter of fact, if you look back and, and find this amazing story where God comes to Moses in this burning bush and has this conversation with him and says to him, I want you to, to be the leader of the people of Israel. I want you to go in front of Pharaoh and, and ask for, for your people to be released. Moses did everything possible to get out of that request. You know, he said he wasn't a very good spokesperson. He said that he wasn't a very good leader. He felt totally incompetent to the task. He asked a question, why would anybody ever listen to me? And yet God prevailed upon him and Moses did become that leader who negotiated with Pharaoh over the course of time the release of the Israelites from their horrible captivity there into freedom and to move toward the promised land. Now, Moses did utilize the leverage that God gave him of these plagues that came time after time, the last being a very horrible and tragic plague. But he did negotiate the release of the people of Israel. And he was a leader, and now they were headed toward the promised land, and they had to move across this desert to even to be able to get there to realize the promise that God had given them. Negotiating with Pharaoh was a hard task, but leading the people of Israel was even harder. And they'd come to this place now where there was no source for water. And all they could imagine was that they had escaped Egypt and their slavery, and now they were just going to die in the desert. You brought us all the way out here in the middle of nowhere only to die, they ask. Now my guess is that they probably weren't that happy with the accommodations on this little journey. I mean, they had to live in tents, and every time they wanted to move, they had to stack up the tents and load them up. And then they weren't that happy with the travel arrangements because um, other than a tour bus, they actually had to walk on foot from location to location. You know, you were whining about having to drive on a bus from St. Louis yesterday. We could have had you walk. <laughs> they probably weren't that happy with the amenities on this journey to the promised land because there were none. And now all they could imagine is that they were going to die of thirst. They were ready to kill Moses. And Moses said, what am I going to do with these people? You know, leading people isn't easy. Followers have ideas. They have their own perspectives. They have their own opinions. And they always feel compelled to share what those are with the leaders. I spoke recently with a, with a school administrator um, who started in the education uh, profession when I did way back in 1973, um, I lasted one year. He's still doing it. But now he's an administrator. And we were talking together about how much things have changed over those 40-some years, almost 45 years since uh, he started in education. And, you know, we talked about um, the old-fashioned way of doing things like uh, mimeograph machines, right? Anybody remember what a mimeograph machine is? You had to crank it by hand, and the blue ink would get all over your fingers. And you can look this up in the ancient history books. They're there. We used typewriters, not computers. If you wanted to speak with someone, like call your spouse or a parent wanted to get a hold of you, they used what was called a landline, a telephone with a cord. You didn't get emails constantly from people, and there was no texting. That's right, college students, no texting. Can you imagine? things have changed. And now parents are in constant contact. Their demands have risen higher and higher. Every day you can get an email from a parent 
I mean, if the parent wants to know what your grade, I mean, you know, okay. So some of my friends would hide their grades from their parents because you could do that then. Some of my friends did that. Um, but now it's all online. You can get it all right there on a the computer. Just log in. You can find out what your kids' assignments are. Make sure you do them for them. Um, all this other stuff. Constant contact. At the end of our conversation, he said, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't be in education. It's just gotten too hard, too demanding. What do you want me to do with these people? It's something he asks on a regular basis. Moses had the same problem. But he discovered that the best leaders have one quality. The best leaders that you'll know are good followers. I mean, everybody who coaches a team, are you there's a basketball tournament going on now. Did you know that? <laughs> a couple games on every day. Um, I can't even keep up. But all of those coaches that you see coaching those basketball teams, they're great leaders. But they're also good followers because they have athletic directors that they have to report to. Hospital staffs have administrators. School administrations have school boards. The CEOs of corporations have shareholders to whom they have to report. Everybody who's a leader has to be a good follower. And God had called Moses to lead the people of Israel. But just because God calls you to something doesn't mean it's going to be an easy task. The march across the desert to the promised land was going to be a marathon and not a sprint. Moses had no idea when God called him and said, I want you to lead the people out of Egypt and to the promised land that it was going to take him 40 years to get there. 40 years with these people whining and moaning about every step of the way. Moses was a good leader, but he was also a follower. And he didn't rely on his own ability to solve this crisis. Moses was willing to ask for help. And that sounds like a very simple thing. If I can't do something, I should ask for help. But very few people do it, actually. Especially leaders. Because if, if you see yourself as a leader and you have to ask for help, you know what you're saying. Well, I'm not very good at what I'm doing. I might be showing some weakness if I have to ask others to help me. I might be admitting to some kind of incompetence if I can't do everything on my own. The best leaders are people who are willing to ask for help. They recognize that one person can't do it all. The task might be too complicated. The details might be too overwhelming. Your experience might be limited. Your understanding of what must be done might be dull. The best leaders are good followers. And so Moses turned to God. And God gave him some instructions. God, first of all, remember, went out in front of Moses. God led Moses to the rock. God didn't say, hey, look, you know, uh, dial the rock up on MapQuest and it'll give you directions and you'll be able to get there. He led him to the rock and took him there. And then the instructions were to take the staff that you had used to part the Nile River to simply strike the rock and water will be provided. You see, you think the people of Israel and Moses would know this already, right? Okay, first of all, they escaped Egypt. Miraculous. 
But you might remember the story that as they're escaping and going toward the promised land, they're moving across this desert, and they have this huge barrier in front of them. It's called the Nile River. And right up behind them is Pharaoh's army. And now they know they're trapped. And this was the first time, this was the first time since they'd escaped Egypt that they believed they were going to die. Moses, God, what do I do now? Take your staff, strike the Nile River. It will part. You'll go across it. And then when Pharaoh's army tries to follow you, they'll be swallowed up and you'll be free. You'd think that would be enough of a sign that God would take care of you. But only a little while later, here they are, out in the middle of the desert with no water, and they can't imagine how they'll ever survive. But Moses is a good leader. And he knows he needs to be a good follower. God doesn't always just provide an instant solution when we consult with him. The story could be a little bit misleading in that regard. But the most important thing that God does is he's available to walk alongside of us in times of need and in a crisis. It probably requires us to acknowledge that we have a need and then to simply listen. To listen to what God might say. To how he might lead. One of the things I think that God gives us in these kinds of crises and difficulties that we have to face in life is perspective. God can help us put things in perspective. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5 gives us an idea of what perspective we might be able to adopt. And we're going to read this responsibly, if you would please. Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace and in which we now stand. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. The Apostle Paul offers a very unique perspective. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a little trouble with his opening instructions. When he says to glory in your sufferings, it's like celebrate when you suffer. But he doesn't just stop there. He's writing about the difficulties that we face in life, everyday things. He's not just writing about the kind of suffering that we do because we decide that we're going to follow Jesus and there's persecution. There may be that too, but what he's really talking about is everything that we experience as difficulty in life. Relational difficulty or business problems or family turmoil or illnesses or tragic accidents. And seriously, Paul, seriously, we're supposed to glory in those things? I don't think we should get the wrong idea that were to do that immediately. But over the course of life, as you gain wisdom, you understand that everything can be put in perspective. That because we face sufferings or difficulty or painful things, they lead us to perseverance. And perseverance leads us to character. And character leads us to hope. And Paul knew all about suffering. 
I mean, he, he was the most feared persecutor of Christians that ever walked the face of, his earth, of the earth in his day. Even the apostles were afraid of him. And then he had this conversion experience. And he became the greatest evangelist that the first century ever knew. And if you read the book of Acts about Paul's ministry, what you'll find is that he was always just escaping one town within a hair's breadth of losing his life. He was in prison. He was beaten. He was threatened. He was told all sorts of things. He knew all about suffering and difficulty. And suffering and difficulty in his own mind, this is what he lived out. It taught me perseverance. And that perseverance built my character. And that character gives me hope. I mean, the disciples that Jesus had learned the same thing in the very same way. Jesus had a very simple request. Follow me. Follow me. Why do I need to be a follower? Well, the disciples tried it. Maybe we should too. And as they followed, they placed all their hopes in him, thinking that he was going to be the long-awaited Messiah, and, and somehow he would restore, um, restore Israel to, to its deserved pride as the great nation that they had been under King David, and this is what Jesus was going to do. And then they stood by and watched as everything they hoped for was destroyed. Arrest, trial, suffering, death on the cross. And their hopes were dashed. And we're told that as Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, that the whole world went dark. And I think that's particularly true for those disciples of Jesus. Their whole world went dark. But three days later, the tomb was empty. And everything changed. Their greatest enemy and our greatest enemy had been defeated. And that meant that nothing, absolutely nothing, can leave us hopeless. Suffering can lead to perseverance. Perseverance can build character. And character produces hope. Moses and the Apostle Paul found that out in their own lives. He discovered that the, the concerns about the people of Israel being difficult were legitimate. These were legitimate concerns. These people were being difficult. But God, who had been faithful in delivering them in the past, would be faithful to deliver them in the future as well. He was going to lead them to a solution. Moses' experience reminds us that when we're following God's plan and direction for our life, that things can be difficult. We need to kind of get rid of the idea that because we're faithful followers of Jesus... Life is paved with easy street, and nothing will ever happen that's bad to us. And sometimes, as Christians, that's what we promote to non-believers. If you believe in Jesus, life will be better, and everything will be good for you. And then they face some difficulties and trials, and they, hold it, you lied to me. What a relationship with Jesus does for us when we follow him, it gives us resources to deal with the regular difficulties and sufferings and pain that life gives us every single day. And first and foremost, it means that we're never alone. And God always decides to walk alongside of us. And if you haven't discovered it already, you will discover that sometimes God walking alongside of you looks like one of your friends. 
or it looks like a neighbor, or it looks like a family member, or it looks like someone from your congregation, or it could be, it could be a faculty member, or it could be a fellow student, it could be a stranger. God can look like almost anyone when he comes alongside of us. And what we need to do is to be open to his presence. One of the identifiers for those of us who are modern day disciples of Jesus is to simply say that we're Christ followers. We're just trying to follow Jesus. And it's in that following and following Jesus that we find our true meaning and purpose in life. And it's in following Jesus that we discover what true hope is all about. And it's in following Jesus and embracing that hope that we bring his hope to the world. Let us pray together. God in heaven, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word that speaks to us clearly about who you want us to be. And we're grateful, Lord, that we don't have to do life on our own, that we have other men and women who are willing to walk alongside of us and be our partners in all that life can bring. At the same time, O oh Lord, we are grateful for the accompaniment of your Holy Spirit. Guide us and direct us. Give us clear vision, open hearts, and willing souls. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.